Our first reading this morning comes to us from the 27th Psalm, reading verses 1 through 6 and then 13 through 14. Listen to what the Spirit today is saying to the church. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, that I will seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 15 to 23. Let's listen again for a word from God. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the workings of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly place, far above all rule and authority and power and, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of God. Let us continue to respond to this word from God by singing the second verse of hymn 451, Open my eyes that I may see. Thou sendest here, and 
God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, as my robe may indicate, I have a Master's of Divinity from Yale Divinity School, which tends to elicit a variety of responses, depending on how you feel about that particular school. Uh, and I promise you that whatever your reactions are, the people who went there have those same sort of reactions. You would think that you get there and there's this sort of oh, sigh of relief. You're there, you've made it to whatever the marker is, but as it turns out, that's only the beginning of what is two to three years of a massive anxiety attack. <laughs> Not everyone, but for a great number of my peers and certainly for myself, there were moments where rather than basking in this sort of generosity of knowledge and all there was to learn, it just kind of felt like there was a this color blue little voice sitting on the side of my head, constantly going, not good enough, not good enough, work harder, do better, they're getting faster than you, they're getting better than you, you're not that smart, how did you get here, how did you get here, what are you doing here? If you walk through those halls, you will hear people talk about imposter syndrome all the time. In the midst of our third year, my friend Misty and I were having a conversation about this voice. And we found ourselves praying, and in the midst of that prayer came out of my mouth a prayer I didn't know I needed until I prayed it, which was, Dear God, we give thanks that you are God, and Yale is not. You may not have gone to Yale Divinity School, but I think if we take a moment and reflect on our own lives, I'm sure you could each fill in the blank. Dear God, I give thanks that you are God, and fill in the blank is not. Or at least that's the prayer that we pray because we hope that's true. And if we pray it enough, maybe we will begin to believe it. The writer of Ephesians today, who may have been Paul, but may also have been somebody later on who really liked what Paul was doing and did a kind of similar thing in the style of, uh, I think gives us three things in this text that we might fill in the blank with. This text generally is called a prayer of thanksgiving, and I think we might consider three ways that this prayer, dear God, we give thanks that you are God and blank is not, is actually a prayer of gratitude for what we might be able to set down. They are that God is God and our accomplishments are not. That God is God and our knowledge is not and that God is God, and our social standing and the opinion of others of us is not. 
I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. This is a church whose faith is so robust, whose actions in love, that faith embodied, is so vibrant that the writer has not, who is not among them, can write them and say, I have heard of your faith, I have heard of your love. And speaking personally, I think if somebody wrote me a letter that went like that, I'd be like, all right, great. Feels a little bit like a thing you might be proud of. And yet, instead of doing that, Paul uses those things, that faith, that love, to redirect to God. I don't give thanks for your faith and your love because you're awesome, not because you aren't, but I give thanks because they direct us to God. There's faith paired with action that fosters a greater gratitude for God and perhaps a hope of what the world might be when we are focused on God as opposed to our own accomplishments. He goes on to say, God is God and our knowledge is not. Because this, this church full of people of faith and people of action do not inherently, because they have those things, have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is a gift that the writer prays will be given to them, a gift of understanding. One may have faith and have action and still not fully have comprehension of all that God hopes and intends for our world. Which to me seems like something to be grateful for because if you asked me what riches look like, what hope looks like, what immeasurable greatness of power looks like, if you polled your friends, you might get one set of answers. And what our text suggests is that, that set of answers may not actually be what God has for us. In fact, whatever it is that riches and power and hope looks like, it is only a thing that can be known through revelation, through God acting and us reacting, which means whether you didn't graduate high school or you got an MDiv from Yale, we give thanks that God is God and the things we are so certain we know are not. God is God, and our power is not. This is a kind of remarkable list that in Christ's giving up of his life and the resurrection and what we learn in that resurrection, we see a power of God that is placed over every power in the world, every spiritual power, every political power, every social power, all of the things that we spend our lives running after are second to the power of God. They all sit under. They are circumscribed by 
the power of God. It's not about our achievements or our accolades, our academic excellence, or our moral high ground. None of these things are God. God is God, a revelation, a mystery. Uh, This week, we saw the death of the Reverend Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a preacher in the Presbyterian Church of America uh, and a rather large voice in the evangelical movement. When I first moved to New York, I went to Redeemer for a while. I loved to listen to him preach because he had such an accessible way of saying things in a way that made me feel like I could follow and like it made sense. But when Tim Keller moved to New York to start his churches, which now are all over Manhattan, people really thought there was no reason for him to do that. People told him, well, New Yorkers are cynical. New Yorkers are skeptics. Nobody's going to listen to the gospel there. And although I believe Reverend Keller and I have come to some different conclusions in much of our theology, I agree with him on this point. He said in response to that in an interview in 2021 that New Yorkers, and let's say by extension those of us in Montclair, spend their whole lives chasing after the next best thing, being told to be better, be stronger, be smarter, be faster. And to step into that space and remind people that any righteousness, any goodness, any requirement for who you must be was already met in the death and resurrection of Christ is a wildly freeing thing. That God is God and all the demands that say to you, this is what you must be, to have value, to be worth anyone's time, to be worthy of love, to be worthy of survival or thriving, are merely attempts to displace the grace of a God who loves you now, who loves you in spite of and because of you could fail at every single thing you are doing and will do for the rest of your life, and God would not love you any less. It's not that the other things that impede upon our attention and energy and focus are not important for the ways that we move through the world. But they're not the apex. They're not the most important thing. The most important thing, the thing that makes you lovable to God is not a thing you could have ever done. You are loved because God has created you. You are an expression of the love of the divine as you are now and as you have been, and as you will be, because God is God, and the world is not. 
And when we begin to pray that prayer, we open up new spaces of hope. We find light breaking in where before we thought there was only brokenness. And we can begin to look at others in that same way, with that same grace, because we are full of the gratitude that comes from knowing that there is nothing we have ever done that could separate us from God. Dear God, we give thanks that you are God and that we are not. And we give thanks that you love us that we are not responsible for meeting a bar to be worthy of that love. May it be so. Amen.